Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 531 of the Juicebox Podcast. I'm incredibly proud of this podcast. I know that I try my hardest to talk about every topic I can think of around diabetes, and I don't want to leave anything out. But when we get to those things that people don't like to talk about so much, the things that you kind of keep private, I put those in a series called After Dark. If you go to juiceboxpodcast.com and scroll down a little, you'll see a ton of After Dark episodes, and I think you should check them out. They're incredibly enlightening. Today's show is with Mike, and Mike has had type 1 diabetes for a very long time, as he will tell you in just a little bit. Mike also has a number of complications, and he is going to share with you his story and his complications today. I want you to be ready that this episode is honest, it's emotional, and it might make you upset. Mike felt very strongly about sharing this with all of you, and I was grateful and honored that he wanted to do it here. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is brought to you by Touched by Type 1. They're an organization doing wonderful things for people living with type 1 diabetes. Find out more about them at touchedbytype1.org. You can also find them on Instagram and Facebook. I'm pretty pleased with how my voice sounds, so I'm going to do one more. This episode is also sponsored by Omnipod, and you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. You can find out at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. By the way, there's no reason to wait for the next big thing because Omnipod has the Omnipod promise. And later in the episode, I'm going to tell you exactly what that is. My name's Mike. Um, I live in San Diego. I've been type one, whoa, over 45 years now. And uh, yeah. (laughs) How old are you, Mike? I just turned 55 today. Oh, congratulations. Oh, really? Congratulations. Thank you. So I can now eat off the Denny's 55 plus menu. Things are really heading in your direction, finally. (laughs) (laughs) You got to take the positives in this world of all the negatives. (laughs) I didn't know our birthdays were so close to each other's. I know. Happy late birthday. My my replacement service dog trainer, my replacement service dog, the trainer was here working and we were pretty tied up. So I didn't get to wish you happy birthday. Happy belated birthday. Thank you very much. And happy birthday to you. We are uh, five years apart and two days. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Mike, you... We're on a How We Eat episode for keto. 409? 496. 496. There you go. Some of the similar numbers. 496. <laughs> and um, I would have to say months had gone by after that, after we recorded it maybe. And I got a really, I thought, passionate email from you saying that you needed to come back on the show um, and talk about complications. And, and your and your life in general. So yeah. I, I think that's very brave, and I appreciate you wanting to do that. Sure. I'm, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to, you know, explain to people. Uh, it's kind of emotional for me when I start talking about it. So um, 
bear with me. <laughs> no, I brought tissues to this one. Do you not have tissues? I have I have short sleeves and the whole bottom of my shirt. <laughs> um I guess I guess for people who didn't hear you on how we eat, just give them a couple of minutes, you know, when about your diagnosis and and how things were back then. Sure. So back in the 70s, um when I was diagnosed, there was no meters, no good insulins. There was uh well, the, the I need to back up just a hair there for a quick second. Um, so I was misdiagnosed by a general practitioner for over a year uh, with an ulcer um, because I, I had the symptoms of the doubling over stomach cramps. I guess that's when my body was attacking the beta cells or the pancreas, from my understanding. Um, so he diagnosed me with an ulcer, and he diagnosed my mom with being so mentally hard on me just as a kid in general in life that it stressed me out so much that caused me to have an ulcer Mm. uh, which was farthest from the truth i had a great loving mom loving family um the uh as the as the time progressed uh, i was getting obviously losing more and more weight um and they finally took me to the hospital because i was just skin and bones they just they couldn't figure it out yeah uh, wasn't a DKA at that point, but I was close. Um, they said I probably had a few more months and I would have been in DKA at that point, but, and it was funny. Well, I don't know if it's funny, but we were walking down the hall in the emergency room and the doctor that was walking the other way, looked at me, pointed to me and told my parents that kid's a di- type one diabetic. And it turns out that's the doctor that came into the, uh, exam room and, uh, properly diagnosed me. So, uh, and at that time, things were pretty primitive. Uh, again, like I said, there was no meters, no good insulins. We had beef and pork and uh, in, and you would take the beef or pork insulin until you started getting resistant to it. Then you would switch over to the other, the, the either or beef or pork until you were resistant to that. And you kind of swap back and forth. If you got resistant to both of them, you're pretty much screwed at that point. Um, so, and I, I was probably 500 the whole time I was a kid. Cause at that point they viewed it. If you weren't falling over, you were doing pretty good. Right. Um, and you did, uh, one shot a day, you'd mix the insulin and you had exchange rates at that time. Uh, example, uh, breakfast, two starches, uh, a dairy, uh, a fat, um, and then lunch, kind of the same thing, you know, two or three starches, four proteins, and that's how they kind of managed it. Um, so I did, I was on one shot a day for, uh, until I was a teenager and I went to a, a type one backpacking camp at the doctors there, uh, finally switched me over to two shots a day. And I, again, no meters, no, no way to really monitor how much insulin you need. But I just, I can remember it at that point when they switched me to two shots a day. Um, how much better I felt. So maybe I was, I came down from 500 to 400. I don't know. We will never know. I wonder, do you know why they, somebody thought to introduce it? Was it just the new way to do it? And you were doing the old one? Yeah, I think there there was doctors at the camp. They were younger doctors. um, And um, at, at the time, from my understanding now of, you know, doctors and how they treated diabetics, they just, they kept you, 
they basically kept you from not dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they wouldn't, they couldn't, they wouldn't adjust, but that was their goal to keep you from dying immediately from a low, but not long-term from complications. They, there was just no, there was no way to, to tell, but like, but as a teenager, the doctors at that point saw it was pretty antiquated for one shot a day. So they broke it up. So at least you had some more regular to cover dinner instead of just covering dinner with whatever basil might be left over from the inn, um, which I don't know if they really know what the peak on that was, whether it was 12 hours, six hours, 24 hours. I don't know. Hmm. Um, I've, I've looked back in that. I I can't find any good solid documentation that kind of gives the duration of that, like, uh, lente now or you know a, a trishibia that's 48 act down I, I couldn't find any data on that and at this point it doesn't matter that's that's, that's over it yeah, <laughs> yeah it's gone so <laughs> what part of the 70s were you diagnosed uh mid 70s right around 76 77 i remember the freedom train coming through wow. um and it was like the summer before i was misdiagnosed and then went through that school year and the summer after when I was properly diagnosed. And yeah. like I said, I've, I've seen pictures from our vacations. We went on family vacation. We were fortunate enough to go for a few weeks every summer. And again, I just, it was just skin and bones, man. My, my, my shirt was just literally hanging off my skeleton. Right. And it, uh, that's, it was pretty sad. That's <laughs> over five decades after someone figured out insulin. That yeah. was that was still the the, the situation. Did well, you... they had no. There was really no way to to. There was no home monitoring. I mean, right. I know hospitals at that time had glucometers, but they're the only ones that really had them. And the reason they had them was if somebody came in passed out, were you a drunk or were you a type one diabetic? Uh, in a you know passed out, and they needed so, this thing to figure that out. Yeah they, yeah, they needed some way to quickly figure that out, so they weren't putting type one diabetics in the drunk tank and then them dying. Right. Wow. So you live a long time with a really high blood sugar. Correct. And, and, and I'm going to kind of break your life up into segments, I think. Sure. So in the moment, do you know what's happening or is it just your life and there's no way to feel it? Or like, did you know you felt bad when you were on one shot a day? Um, I didn't know at the time because I really had nothing to judge it with because you, I was never in a lower range to feel like, for instance, you know, 120 versus a 500 and your body kind of gets used to it. Um, and then I also remember uh, as a teenager in high school, uh, originally I, I have nothing wrong with private schools, but it wasn't my, let's say, cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted to go back to the public school where all my friends were from growing up elementary school. So my mom agreed to let me go back to the public school, but I had to take up uh, extracurricular activity. So I chose cross country and track. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I never had a low, I never passed out. So that validates all the doctors of today's that, yeah, you must've been 500 the whole time. Um, Cause we were running, you know, 10, 50 miles a day. We got up to, and here's the wacky noodles part of this. My mom read in a runner's magazine that you should carbohydrate load before the day before a race. So she'd make me not knowing this was a problem at the time. 
uh, again, loving mother. She'd make me a whole box of mac and cheese that I would eat for dinner the night before. Um, a whole box of pasta. So I was carb, carb loading without covering for insulin because there was no knowledge of covering it for insulin. Right. <laughs> On top of all that. How did you run? Like, I guess you really. So, so for, I guess for people listening who are managing in today's world, the idea that you could be 500 and living for days and days and days or 400 or whatever, like that high, high like that. Yeah. Is, is probably confusing to them. It's inconceivable. <laughs> right, right. But really, you're it, it, in that moment, and for those years, your body's in an advanced state of aging, basically. Correct. You're using up your life cycles faster than you should be. Correct. And your body had a way of making itself feel normal enough that you could function. Correct. The, the other thing, the doctor that diagnosed me when I was a kid, uh, which I found out later in life, um, that he told my mom that exercise equated to insulin. Um, and anywhere I wanted to go, like my friend's house that was several miles away, um, an arcade, uh, at, you know, when I asked her, hey, can you run me over here? Well, ever since my diagnosis, she conveniently could never take me anywhere. She made me ride my bike, which that probably at that time was one of the best things for me. So which helped me in cross country and track. And I still hold the record for the hundred at Christian junior high to this day. Um, so I was in, I was in top shape. I was just riding everywhere. Um, so go figure. I, I, yeah, we, we, we talk about that now with some of the, like the, the, the therapists they see, we, you know, sports th therapy and stuff. And it's just, yeah, I it's think, I think that her conveniently, but making me go ride, for that exercise is insulin thing was um, probably extended at that time. A lot of things. Yeah. Bought you more time because yes. she was driving your blood sugar down a little bit with the, with the exercise and with you, with all the running and everything, yeah. um, which would take you right back to prior to insulin. When they started figuring out what was happening, they would just starve people and move them around. It's, yeah. It's yeah. All, it's, that's how they would, <laughs> that's how they try to, um, elongate your life if you had uh, type one before insulin they you know yeah. don't eat anything um and then just keep active and you're really just doing those things to stay alive and so you were getting some function from that correct w when what happens next you go away to college no i um uh went to automotive trade school at that time mm -hmm. um so first part of my life, I was a ASC certified auto mechanic. Um, and again, just, you know, whatever insulin single dose they gave me on the day. And at night I was just taking and eating any and everything. And th there was no thought process behind it because th there was still no, no monitoring, no, right. I think there was, a, I believe there was a meter at that time, but it took like two or five minutes to read. And what do you do with the information? Yeah. And at and that point, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly from our, our other conversation, th is this the point in your life where you get fairly unhealthy in other ways? Yeah. Okay. Can you tell people about that? Yeah. So moved to Florida, um, for, with a girlfriend and, and her family. Um, we loved sailing and it was warm water there. So, you know, we're, 
we're drinking and, you know, eating whatever, because there's really, I've never been told not to. And there's been no great information to, Hey, you need to do these things to take care of yourself. So the doctor I saw at that time, um, because I, I knew I needed insulin. Insulin was life. You could buy syringes over the counter. So I was basically seeing him for the prescription for insulin. And you know, I was really overweight. Um, I'm 5'11". Five, I was like 245-ish, 250 overweight. And he finally one day going to get my prescription um, said that uh, you really need to do better in your life. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, get a desk job or something. <laughs> I like working one. on cars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he said, no, diabetes wise. He said, I'm going to send you to see this person who I'm still lifelong friends with today. Um, see this person. And if I get back good information from this person that you will start taking care of yourself, I will keep prescribing you insulin. We'll check in the hospital. If you, if I get bad information from this person, no doctor in South Florida will see you. I will, I will ban you from seeing any doctor in South Florida through the medical profession or however he worded it at that time. Mm. So I'm thinking, hmm, insulin life and no insulin, not life. <laughs> I'll do it. This next guy is going to get to tell me whatever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I went and saw the person. It was at diabetes treatment centers they had at the hospitals at that time. And she scared the bejeevers out of me. If you want to put any other explicit word in there, you could go ahead and do that and bleep it out. <laughs> so I, uh, I checked, I got checked in the hospital at that point. They checked you in for like seven days to regulate you quote unquote. Mm-hmm. I'm doing air quotes, as you can see, regulate you, um, as best they can and got my first meter. Um, and I took it serious. I, uh, was on multiple injections at that time, MDI. Um, insulin pumps were considered experimental. Mm-hmm. So af- after that week in the hospital, I continued to strive. Um, I you know, hung out at the diabetes treatment center, the support groups, got with in- at that time in the community, uh, which made me feel really good about things. Started eating healthier. And the next thing was I needed to lose weight. Um, and he said, you know, you, you, you got to start doing some exercise. And uh, I was working for an Acura dealership at the time. And the parts manager raced uh, amateur bicycles. And he invited me to come out and uh, uh, cycle with him, you know, to try to help some lose weight. And uh, so I bought a, my first bike that month, uh, rode over a little over a thousand miles and lost like 45 pounds plus that first month. So, Jeez. uh I'm an, I'm an all or nothing guy in case you, anybody that, you know, I, I don't just dabble in anything. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. So you, you basically are living in, in your, well, tell me, tell me how old you were when you met this, the second doctor. Uh, I was in my early twenties. Okay. So early twenties is so you're young, you're, you're a mechanic you're living, you're sailing, you're screwing around with your girlfriend and eating whatever you want and uh, drinking. You said drinking. I'm assuming you meant beer and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So we, just beer. Yeah. Just beer. Uh, At that point. <laughs> was it a rapid weight gain for you? Or no, had the it been happening through high school? 
weight gain was at, at well, uh, when I was in high school running cross country and track, I was, you know, j- just a rail. Um, and, uh, I got in a really bad car crash. Uh, I was in the backseat of a, it was a little, little, little Honda Civic, I think it was. And, uh, we had these mountains out here. And one of the cool things is to do, which is really not cool is to go on the mountain, turn your lights out and scare the crap out of everybody in the car, you know, and try to anticipate the curve you made. Um, so this girl was driving and, uh, she wasn't a good driver, but I'm in the backseat. You know, I should have said something, but I didn't because I'm with my friend trying to protect her. Uh, we grew up as, as neighbor kids. And uh, we went off the mountain, um, airborne into a tree. And luckily, the tree, the tree branches, as we landed about mid-tree, um, I went back and looked at it uh, afterwards. And it was probably, the tree was taller than a two-story, not a two-story, but a one story house. So, but between that, so landed in that the impact lifted me up and of course no seatbelts at the time. So I broke both my ankles, shattered my shoulder as the car fell down. It was pretty gentle fall through the limbs until we hit the ground. It was in front of somebody's house. So we hobbled, hobbled in there and help. Mike, is it possible that Steven Spielberg has stolen a portion of your life story for Jurassic Park and you're owed money? (laughs) Because, I didn't even think of that, but, uh, anyways, after I healed, I went out, uh, did six miles with the, uh, cause at that point, the, the guys team was running 10 to 15 and I was trying to get back into it. I did six mile loop and I hurt so bad. I never ran after that again. Hmm. And it was from that progression through my early twenties that I started gaining the weight. Cause I was just, you know, right. um, you know, I, I could eat a whole large, extra large deep dish pizza in a setting myself. So when we'd go to pizzas, we'd get three or four pizzas with the family. <laughs> Jeez. Well, okay. So take me into that room in your 20s. What does that doctor who scares you, what, is, what do they say to you? Well, basically the, the doctor, the doctor or the diabetes treatment center? The treatment center. I'm sorry. Oh, so she, <laughs> we'll cut to the quick. Her first statement was, you got a girlfriend? Yeah. You like having sex? Yeah. Well, if you want to keep having sex, um, you better start taking care of yourself because that's the first thing that's probably going to go. No, not probably. Will go. That grabs a young man's attention really quick, like literally by the short hairs. (laughs) You're like, I did not recognize that erectile dysfunction is going to be what you started with today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, she just flat out. And it was just, I, I think, I turned 50 shades of white right? because um, it was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, no, we uh, no. What? Yeah. No. Well, let's fix this quickly. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, when can we check me into the hospital? Well, we have to have the doctor's note first. Can we call them now? Yeah, my, ankle, my ankles are fine. Can I go for a walk? Um, it, it's it, so, so she hit you with that as a side effect of unregulated blood sugars. Correct. Okay. And she said at that point, it had no age limit. It was just, it could happen to you tomorrow or, you know, the better care you take of yourself. Let's just say it could never happen. But at your rate, it it will. In that moment, five seconds before that, did you think of yourself as a person with unregulated blood sugars? No, not at all. Matter of fact, I, there was, (laughs) you could go through the drive-thrus there. I won't say the name of the place, but you could get. And I got fried the fried shrimp platter. 
with two Coors Lights to go through the drive-thru window. <laughs> On your way to the diabetes treatment center? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got fried shrimp, french fries, a couple of beers. I didn't drink them while I was driving, but I drank them in the parking lot. And that wasn't a goodbye to health because you didn't think that's what was happening. This is just a common way you would have eaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not on a work day, but yeah. I have I have a question. I'm going to jump ahead for half a second because I know you now. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not, I, I don't know you well, but I know you. And yeah, we communicate. Yeah, right. You don't seem like that person. Was it youth? Was it the high blood sugars? That was just how I lived. It's just how you lived. It's just what how things occurred to you, and that's what you did. Yeah, because, right. you know, we take the sailboat out for the weekend, you know, a couple of 12 packs of beers. You know, maybe after after work, we take the sailboat out or the motorboat. And, mm-hmm. you know, beer was always involved. Um, you know, you go out for a pizza, have a couple of beers. I, 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 I will preface this. I never drank and drive drunk. You know, a couple of three beers. Um was about it but when we be out on the water we get pretty sloshed but yeah you know sailboat only goes so fast (laughs) (laughs) so you gotta find your excitement somewhere else um (laughs) okay all right so she hits you with ed anything else that was that 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 was the opening closing statement it's all it needed (laughs) she she started she's like there's other stuff you're like no i'm good i'm gonna do it so (laughs) so she so they (laughs) We're good. Do you want to hear about the heart disease? Nope, don't care. I'm not going to make it that far. Um, yeah, didn't okay. know there was heart disease involved at that point. <laughs> Learned that later. <laughs> yeah. So they check you in, and they get you. Basically, it's a blood sugar detox, I guess, for the lack of a better term. Did they teach you about food? What happens in that time? So they didn't really teach you about foods. They were still using the exchange rate at that point. Mm-hmm. So you know, a, a starch is you know, a slice of bread. It's uh mashed potatoes that's about the size the palm of your hand a dinner roll and you kind of went on that and uh so i try i I diligently again as i say i'm all or nothing um if i know better um so i went into it with uh you know eyes wide open and really focused on doing the best i could had a meter so i was you know test before breakfast lunch and dinner um so, you know, that's what the doctor told me to do. That's what I did. Do you remember um, any of those early blood sugar tests? Uh, yeah, you know, you know, in the high 100s, low 200s was not uncommon mm-hmm. and was um, praised. You know, you're doing great. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I didn't do the two hour test. I didn't I wasn't told to. So. Uh, I was told I was doing good. I was now in control. I do not remember my A1Cs at the time, but they're not what I've got now. Um, they were probably, you know, under 12, maybe 11. I I, I can't remember, but right. at that time, for whatever the ADA recommendation was, um, I was considered uh, compliant. Okay. And so how long does this phase of your life with blood sugars last? Well... So because I was riding, exercising, and um, I was no Lance Armstrong or, you know, Tour de France qualifier, but I held my own. Um, And there was a group there that was um, out of the Mike Cyclery bicycle store, just happened to be 
and they call themselves the Mike's group. And it wasn't for me. Those were the hardcore local guys. And they met early, like five in the morning um, to go train. And they would, you know, you'd get a, a 40, 50, 60 mile hardcore workout before work. Hmm. Um, and on the MDI, uh, I'd get up at, set my alarm, get up at two, uh, bolus or inject, go to sleep for an hour, wake up at three, I would eat and then wake up at five. And depending on my blood sugar, I would either go work out or, you know, I couldn't because it was kind of out of whack, uh, being either too high or what I thought at that point wasn't high enough to go do the strenuous workout. And by, by default of doing the same thing seven days a week, every morning, <clears throat> I was able to get my breakfast dialed in so I could do those workouts. Um, and then, and this is where I progressed to, I wanted to get an insulin pump because I was taking so many uh, injections throughout the day. Cause I'd ride, do the hard workout before work. I'd ride my bike to work. I'd go ride, you know, an hour at lunch hard. I'd ride home. So I was doing more and more and more exercises and picking up more and more of these little group kind of heavy workouts and the MDI was getting to be too hard. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get on an insulin pump I asking my doctor and he said, no, 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 they're, they're just, there's, there's too high risk for, you know, DKA infection and hospitalization and they're experimental. I don't have it, anybody on one. So I did, it took me about six months begging and pleading him. And I found uh, the only type one diabetic at that time who did the Ironman in Ohio or Ohio, Hawaii, that uh, was on an insulin pump. Mm. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back of his, okay, I'll let you try this. And uh, it, it worked out really good. Yeah. Um, you know, I still didn't have stellar, you know, A1Cs that we have today, but in that time that worked out really good. Cause I didn't have the long acting floating around in there. Right. You know, just had the basal, and then kind of make some adjustments. And I ate a lot of fig Newtons at that time because they're 11 grams of carb each. I could figure out what that was going to be for the next two hours of, you know, either strenuous or non-strenuous um, workout. I had, matter of fact, I had charts and graphs at that time of just about every food the grocery store sold, what the carbs were, how much insulin it needed. Again, the all or nothing guy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, it's funny you say say that, but I keep thinking – Nobody told you, and maybe nobody knew, but I mean, I think you would have done it if you would have known. Oh, yeah. Had 100% had I known, yeah. I, I I would have been doing it. But again, he just, I get my prescription, see a doc, see him, yeah. you know, three months, and whatever. And until he finally just said, This is insane. This is, and you're, you're just killing yourself. Well, so now you're riding your bike and you're, and you lost, I mean, it sounds like you lost a lot of weight in one swing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now you're living like this, higher A1Cs than we would think of now as being okay, but it was way better than what was happening. It was a huge improvement, et cetera. In your mind, you're out of the woods, right? Oh, yeah. In my mind, I'm golden. I'm, I'm going to avoid any complications, any long-term effects. And really, at that point, nobody really talked about it. It was, I don't want to say it was the unspoken, but if I look back, it was kind of the unspoken. Nobody talked about it unless you were... 
know, it's anybody happening. that had the amputation, you say, well, you're, you're diabetic. You're, you know, my uncle lost his leg and you, yeah. you hear that story from everyone. Oh, thanks. Right, right, great. Um, but, you know, being type one at that time, you were considered able to control it. You were the lucky diabetic because if you wanted to take care of it, you could, mm-hmm. um, which is further from the truth. But so, you know. Me- from your diagnosis to this time where you're, you've got the, I mean, from your diagnosis from one shot a day to two shots a day to, uh, you know, the weight gain to the intervention, I'll call it, to, you know, <laughs> getting on a pump and having stability at eight. What do, you, what, what do you think those A1Cs back then were on that first pump? Nine, eight? I don't think it was eight. It was probably nine, between nine and 11, I would imagine. Because, okay. you know, you go out to do a time trial. And, you know, you might, you know, jack yourself up to 300 before you go out to do the rot, the, the event. Um, same thing with a mountain bike race. You know, you're not going to start a mountain bike race at that time at 150. You're, you're, you're going to crash. Okay. So, so I how, had a, a camelback that I had. Oh, go ahead. I, I just wonder how much time it was from your diagnosis to this time in your life. Like today time or no, the, no, that to time? then to that time with that pump, those 11 A1Cs from your diagnosis. Oh, I was probably it was pretty quick. Um, so once even with the multi the MDI at that time, when I the intervention period, um, I pretty quickly came down to that. It was probably months um, once I started exercising and that that you know getting into the local amateur bike racing amateur mountain bike racing and the weekend group rides okay so i was so, being really physical i could i was doing 300 plus a week um easily and you're in your mid-20s by then or no still early uh i'm in my, my late early starting on my mid okay and you're diagnosed again at how old uh <clears throat> It's like eight or nine eight or, or between nine. nine and 10. Okay. So fair to say about 15 years of your life is spent at least over an 11 A1C and, and going this whole process that you just described. Yes. Right. Now from that point into, I'm sorry, I feel like I'm, I feel like the bad guy in this story for some reason, but um, from that point until your first complication, how long is it? And what is that first one? Uh, so my first noticeable complication, and I was—I've been a, a type one diabetic test test monkey for new drugs and and apparatuses for oh 25, 30 years, and this has to be—I'm I'm trying to think of numbers here. I'm not You're just fine. spacing, but uh, so this is before my trophy wife now after i've I moved back to so this is around there right around 2000 maybe um one of the studies i was signed up for was people people with or without neuropathy of known degree there was a uh, <clears throat> excuse me a pill that they were going to give you for a year or whatever it was to see if once they measured your neuropathy and your lower, like be, your ulnar between your foot and like your calf, mm-hmm. they did a measurement and whatever that was, there was a, there was a, your inner out parameter um, kind of go, no go. 
and they would measure that over the year to see what the improvement was. So they had an electrode on my calf, like it was, um, uh, what do they call it? Acupuncture needle. That's how they had the probe in there mm-hmm. on your nerve. And they would fire that nerve and they measured it somewhere in the bottom of your foot. And I'm not looking at, you know, cause I'm laying on a table, you know, on my belly and this guy's doing this measurement feet, you know, straight out, you know, knee bent up and he's doing this and doing this and spend a little bit of time. And he's, you know, he, he kept asking me, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm fine. And he's okay. Are you sure you're okay? I said, yeah, why? And he goes. When you use my links for the sponsors, you're helping the podcast. And I appreciate when you listen to the ads. So earlier I mentioned you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. That's a tubeless insulin pump. All you have to do is go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out if you are eligible and to get started. But if you're sitting there right now thinking, that's okay, Scott, I'm going to wait for the next big thing from Omnipod and then I'm going to get going. Well, here's the thing about that. You don't need to. Because of the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by insurance. Now, terms and conditions apply, but you can find out more about that as well at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. So if you're excited to get started with tubeless insulin pumping with the Omnipod, you don't have to wait. Here are some of the things you're going to get out of this. You can bathe or swim with an Omnipod on. So that means no disconnecting for those activities, which means no high blood sugars later from not having your insulin. You could also wear an Omnipod while you're playing soccer, lacrosse, going for a run, a bike ride, making dinner, running through the house, yelling, it's raining, close the windows. I'm just saying, you like you won't get tubing cut on like door handles and drawers and things like that because Omnipod doesn't have tubing. So if you've been waiting, there's no need to wait. And if you're using MDI right now and thinking, I would like that, Scott, I'd like to be able to set a temp basal increase when I'm having pizza or an extended bolus or, you know, I don't want to give myself six injections at a big meal because I'm like, oh, I'm going to have a little more. I give myself a little more insulin, just push a button and boom, here it comes right through your Omnipod. If that sounds good to you. If you want to use the insulin pump that my daughter's been wearing since she was four years old, go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player, links at juiceboxpodcast.com, where you can just type it into a browser, omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Last thing before we go, I want to thank Touched by Type One for being a longtime sponsor of the podcast. Touched by Type One is an organization who is helping people with type 1 diabetes. And all they want you to do is learn more about them. That's pretty simple. And you can do that at touchedbytype1.org. All right, I'm going to get you back to Mike now. He kept asking me, are you okay? I've got this thing cranked up and I cannot get a response. 
well, what does that mean? He goes, you've got serious, serious, serious lower neuropathy. I'm like, that can't be true. I can feel heat, cold, fuzzy carpet. And he goes, no. So my nurse practitioner at that time, who I saw as my doctor, quote unquote, she also did research with the UCSD VA, where a lot of the research was performed. And she kind of just got the result we're talking about. She goes, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know that things were that bad. I'm like, what do you mean that bad? And mm-hmm. I, it didn't, the levity of it didn't hit me because I'm thinking that's wrong. I can feel, you know, again, hot, yeah. cold water, you know, I still, I can feel everything. So I, I dismissed it as, you know, kind of whatever, but looking back on that now is, um, Yeah, I guess that was kind of uh, harder to take when I look back at it, but I just I blocked it. Um, sorry, no, you're fine. Um, I guess I just blocked it out of my mind, thinking that this this is this can't be true. Right. So that was the first. Um, that was the first uh, on record, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, Uh, results of a test and that was all because i was you know going to do uh studies Mm -hmm. so that's about 25 years into your life with type one and literally over 20 years ago now yeah yeah do the does that progress in a way that's measurable or do you just notice one day that it's worse or how does that go i it's hard to say. Um, again, I still dismissed it, um, thinking that, that they were wrong. But again, it was a machine they measured. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I still did a bunch, you know, dozens of more studies um, on different drugs and different things. But but that that was the first one that had a measurement that I couldn't do the study. And then I noticed there was. uh you know, something was going down. <laughs> well, okay. Um, what's the next thing that happens? Next noticeable, which I didn't know. Uh, I, and in the in the meantime, I've had. Uh, do you know what the Dupuytren contractures are? No. So a Dupuytren contracture, a lot of people call it trigger finger, mm-hmm. but it's not trigger finger. Trigger finger is you're using your finger and it locks. Okay painful and then then it at some point it straightens up a duplicate contracture it's really common in type 1 diabetics they don't know why other than they believe it's something to do with the, the synthetic insulin but it's basically a growth of collagen weed that goes around your tendons nerves and starts pulling your fingers down in a locked so that they, they won't extend past a certain point okay um and i've had several on my left hand um and my left pinky the last one i did i had by done by a uh, a hand specialist who turned out to be a butcher and as you can see i don't have a pinky right um he did the repair cut the nerve did it right it in hand therapy and 
the nerve repair popped and my finger got stuck at an angle like that and it would get caught in places. Wow. And for the record, uh, for those of you who can't see me, it was bent over more than halfway toward my palm, but it would flex to my palm, but it wouldn't flex past. So as I'm working on a car or something, you squeeze it in somewhere and your finger can't pull out. Oh my gosh. So now you got to get a screwdriver or something in there, hack the crap out of your finger, trying to get it bent down to your palm and pull out. So that's why they ended up amputating that one at the, so they took two thirds off. So I got the nub. So you have two thirds of your left hand pinky is gone. Correct. Right. Okay. Wow. There it is. Yeah. No, no, I know. I know. I just want to make sure people understand. Yeah. I believe that's uh, the distal phalange. I think they call it. No, I don't know, but it's one of those phalanges. It's I can only count to uh, four and a third on my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> but if you hold up both of your fingers, you can get to eight and a half. Yeah. Yes. Because I recently lost my other one. But one of the things, the complications I felt next after the feet, the finger, is I started getting really bad frozen shoulder on my uh right side to start with so mm-hmm. you'd throw a frisbee or something and be like Ugh! you know just be that thing at different times is there anything, anything they else? can do for that uh when it gets so bad uh well they can inject steroids but you know what steroids does to a type one yeah. so they can go in there when it gets to a point you can't move it and clean it out i went to the shoulder doctor and he said oh also my right bicep uh, uh, the, um, uh, the part, the neuropathy, whatever you want to call it, it crystallizes the muscles, tendons, and nerves. Mm-hmm. So when that happens and you move your arm out real quick, that rips and that ripping of that crystallization is just painful. Wow. Um, that, that's a problem. And I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of the progression of the other, complications so i work with my hands i'm no longer a um auto mechanic but i'm a piano and instrument repair technician so i'm still working with my hands Mm -hmm. and it was several years ago my my as i'm working with my hands my fingers would just lock up in these contorted positions and at any given time and i would drop the tool i'm working with um i'd ask my um, my hand therapist, or not hand therapist, my hand doctor specialist, what, what's causing it? Do I have uh, arthritis? And he says, no, you don't have arthritis. Um, why is they locking up? He said, I have no idea why they're locking up. But that, that would get worse and worse and worse. And then recently diagnosed as severe neuropathy. Yeah. Um. When did the brain fog come? Oh, gosh. (laughs) So the brain fog. So here's what uh, most of my type one buddies my age. uh, We we call it diabetic dropout. You're talking and and you 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 forget where you were talking about or the word Mm -hmm. or whatever. And um that was uh, uh, that was happened over the years, but that was also uh, 
it's basically Alzheimer's. You want to take a break? No, I'm all right. It's the uh, the crystallization of your fine blood cells in your in your brain, which they've recently basically it's 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 basically Alzheimer's. Um, there's nothing you could. Hang a sec. All right. That's the one that really gets me. I think about that one. <sighs> they. Uh, I, I still haven't had the MRI yet because I don't I don't want to know the the I don't want to know the results about what what the measurement of it is. Um, you can't take Alzheimer's meds because the side effects are harder on you than um, what the benefit might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just years and years of you know out of control blood sugars. But there was nothing, nothing we could do. We didn't know about it. They didn't know about it, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, this is something there's there. <sighs> puppies and kittens, puppies and kittens, puppies and kittens. Um, <sighs> Can I ask you why you wanted to do this? Uh, yeah. Um, I hear it so often from from people who were newly diagnosed in the past few years, if there was ever a time to be diagnosed, now is the time. Um, sorry, both my sleeves are all wet. <laughs> we, we should have went with a long sleeve shirt, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot out. But uh, yeah, so, and it really, what really tied this all together is I used to say, you know, it's a pretty good time to be diagnosed with diabetes. I volunteered at a lot of kids' ski camps that I can't do anymore because of my neuropathy. Mm-hmm. But just letting people know that it's a pretty good time. Now, fast forward, back forward a little bit. As you know, I started listening to you um, when COVID hit. And I started, I first off employed Bump and Nudge. And I got down to the the high low six, high fives, just with that regular diet. I was figuring out stuff. And then uh, that's when I decided to go keto, not because of the juice box method, but it just seemed like something to do, easier to do. Um, I love barbecue. Um, uh, And then when we did our first recording back in October, uh, I was at, I believe it was five, seven, um, since then, I've been rocking a solid five five. Wow. Um, and then that's when it tied in to uh, to myself and why I wanted to do this. So the parents of kids nowadays to give them some relief that by once you learn how to use insulin, and I will say until I listen to your podcasts your gift to the world whatever you want to call it i never really knew how to use insulin Mm -hmm. if you really want to take it because the doctors are oh yeah you're seven you're eight don't eight five you know it's just it's that's still not healthy that's long term no good but by keeping good a1c's and keeping in the low fives even at a low six um 
my heart of hearts, my belief and talking with my neurologists, um, you're going to avoid all that. You're not going to have this, this stuff happening to you. Um, you know, when you think about your sandblaster, you know, vision, that's just, that just hits home and feeling the salt, the sugar crystals. It's like, duh. But I really wanted to give some comfort to these new parents. And I see it all the time on the, on the Facebook group, you know, diagnosed, you know, four months ago, A1C was five, seven, you know, it's like, you can get it. You can grasp it. You can live a life without complications. Um, and there's no doctor in the world that'll tell you that. And that's what's bullshit. Right. <sighs> Sorry, that just. No, you're fine. Please. You're kidding me. You can say whatever you want. Um... <laughs> but it's it. It took a non-diabetic and a non-doctor to figure this out and share this with the world to, you know, you can do this without the complications. If you, you know, do the ADA's recommendations, seven to eights, you're going to have something happen to you, man. Yeah. And as of now, I'm 55 years old. Um, I'm having to go out on disability because I, I can't work through my shoulders, my hands. So, I had to have my my right hand, my right pinky amputated a few months back. They had fixed that Dupatrin several times, and within a year, it kept coming back. Mm-hmm. the The blood supply on the outer finger was compromised, so there was just no way to do another surgery. Right, uh, just it wouldn't live. So now I'm double dubbed, <laughs> but in that hand therapy. So you do a grip test and I've always been in the 95s and that's an average, uh, average male between 90, 95, a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, and this last grip test I did, which proves my point. I, I, I can't even open a Gatorade bottle. Um, it was 20. Wow. How, so, how quickly did that drop off happen? It, it happened over the last couple of years. It started getting really bad, but it was just a progression from all the years gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a upper and lower <sighs> neuropathy test where they do the same thing with the acupuncture needle and they electrically, they start at your hip and they go down and it's on this little speaker. I don't know the name of the procedure, but it's as they're working their way down, when the nerves are firing, you hear this whoosh, 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 noise on the on the speaker and the closer they got to my knee the the quieter it got once they got below my knee it was dead silent right um you know i used to we used to walk miles and miles and hike i uh i could do about two miles maybe on a walk uh, i walk with a walking stick now and that's on hard pavement um You know, we don't hike anymore. I just can't. Yeah. It hurts too much. Is uh, the issues you're having relegated to your extremities? Or ha- have you 
willfully not been looking internally at yourself or what, what is the rest of it like? I mean, physically or mentally? <laughs> I was going to get to mentally in a second. I meant physically first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, physically. Um, yeah, it's just the neuropathy is so bad at this point. Um, you know, I can step on a, it's like the princess and the pea. Um, like step on a little pebble with bare feet, man. It's just it's excruciating. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I guess I, I mean, I, I feel compelled to ask you about like how, how do you manage seeing? Cause I mean, what's really happening is you're seeing aging happening, happen at an accelerated rate. Yeah. Right? I thought the wheels wouldn't fall off till my late sixties, early seventies. That happened a whole lot quicker. I had jet fuel in me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, I mean, it even really, I mean, I hate to talk about it like this, but it must be frustrating for you because now looking back and understanding where your blood sugars are, your body really was resilient, honestly, to get you this far. And yeah. I mean, am I wrong, but it can't, I hate, I hate asking this, but ask anything. I'm an open book. Do you play? I'm here to tell all, be all, whatever people need to hear this. They need to, it was hushed and shushed. And everything was behind, you know, just don't talk about that. Right. So people need to hear the truth and why it is so crucial to live the way you have Arden living in and all these other people that are in their fives. Um, yeah, you're going to get to 160, but you're not hanging out there for four or five hours. It's not the excursion. It's okay to be 300 for seven hours. No, no, it's not. Um do, do, but, you, do you play what if ever? Do you ever think about oh, like what God. if you learned it sooner? Oh, or, 100. Yeah. Every 24 hours a day. You can't avoid it, I imagine, right? You you can't. Well, it was really bad there, man. I was I was so spun out, especially after I lost my, my right finger that. Oh, my God. What if you know what am I going to do? And, you know, what am I going to do? You know, my wife, what are you going to do when I die? And if what if I die? It's like I was just such a bad mental place. And, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? And God, if this doctor would have told me 20 years and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I have sought mental help. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you have to right? to do you see a therapist? Yeah. Yeah. So. I knew. I knew after my right amputation i mean i just i spun out man i just i spun out because it was it, it it threw me off the cliff and i got so spun out of you know what if what next you know right if i'm this way now what's tomorrow what is next you're gonna bring yeah um and i i just it was so bad my trophy wife said if you keep this up i'm not living this life um that's it's not what I signed up for. I was uh I was always known as the it's all good, man. You know, rule number one. Rule number two, see rule number one. And I was I was in a dark, dark, really dark valley that I just the moon wasn't even shining in. So your wife didn't have any trouble with your your health issues. She had trouble with how you were facing them. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And even when you're dating, so I was in my I wasn't quite 40 yet when we started dating and you know, you're diabetic and you think you're 40, who's going to want you. And so I met her, we kind of the, from the first date we went on, we haven't been separated other than 
a business trip or something like that. We've never really fought until I don't want to say we fought recently. Really recently is when she said, I, I can't, this is not what I signed up for. And this is the funny thing. Um, she has a really close relative who is a nurse who is type one, who had 911 called on her dozens of times. And knowing that, and she got with me as a diabetic, I'm thinking, what? But, you know, we fell in love and she's like, it doesn't matter. You know, things happen, things are going to happen. And thank God I haven't had to have 911 called on me. But, and then after five or six years later, she asked me why. And I, you know, why? Well, yeah, well, I, I test my blood sugars, but I was always higher than lower because I developed really bad hypoglycemic unawareness and I was paranoid of going low. Right. Well, Mike, you're, you're shining a light on something that I contend constantly. I don't say it as out loud as much as maybe I think it, but everyone who's come into this life, you know, in the, in the past handful of years and seeing technology like it exists now, um, I, I don't think that a vast majority of them will see the issues that you're having. And no. I, and I wonder if they don't want to pretend like they don't exist so they don't have to think about it. And that I understand, but my responsibility becomes such that as the, as the podcast grew and it started reaching more and more people, I thought I'm not just talking to, you know, moms with good insurance or, you know, you know, kids who grew up well and have Dexcoms like anymore. Like I realize now that I'm, I realized it then, but as it grew, I'm reaching more people. And my contention is, is that there are way more people like you living in the world right now with type one diabetes than there are the average parent of a child who's got good insurance and found a podcast. You, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't want to be a boutique show. Um, and I, um, I mean, I was really grateful that you reached out and wanted to talk about all this. And I have to admit when you asked, I didn't know how you were going to do it. I have to admit that personally for me, it it's, listen, I don't have any of your health issues, you know, and when this is over, I, I don't have to do whatever you have to do today, but your name being Mike is hard for me. Um, that's the, the, the weirdest thing, but, uh, at the same time, uh, Mike, I feel like I missed my friend, Mike, and I feel like I missed you too. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it's a weird thing. It's obviously not, it's, it, it's not, all of your health is not my responsibility, but it's, um, it's a real, it turns up stuff for me because when I start thinking about my friend, Mike, I don't believe that by the time I, Arden was diagnosed and I figured this, and by the time I figured this stuff out, it was likely too late for him yep. um, to begin with. Um, but it would have been cool to see him feel hopeful once or to hear him talk about his five, five, a one C or something like that. Um, yep. And it's just, it's, it's tough for me to, to hear you describing what's happening to you because I feel like I I feel like I can see your future already. And I think you feel like you can see it too. I do. And yeah. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I've, I've heard you talk about Mike and, um, <clears throat> it, it, who knows, but I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts now that 
I'm not going to get better per se, but hopefully I won't get worse. Right. And I will say this. Um, I've always worn glasses to drive at night since I was 18. And since I've been doing, you know, your technique strategies, not medical advice, I know, but <laughs> employing how to use insulin and how to bump and nudge and pre-bolus and all those. I no longer wear glasses. Oh, that's cool. I wish I could do something to get myself to stop wearing glasses. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if anybody wants to start a podcast that gets me away from these reading glasses, I'd be really, really grateful. Well, it's, and I talked to my doctor about that and the eye doctor, and it's because my eyes aren't, you know, shrinking, swelling, shrinking, swelling, shrinking, swelling, shrinking, right, swelling constantly. from the, the, the blood sugars. My, my mom wears pretty heavy glasses. My dad, my granddad, nobody else did. Um, so for what that's worth. Well, I'm, thank you. I, I know that's a weird, th- I, I, I'm sorry that I turned this into you making me feel better, but I appreciate <laughs> knowing that. Um, I was just trying no, to. It, give context really. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know we're in a weird setup right now where I don't have a camera on and you do, but I, I, there are times I've had to look away from you because <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, God, I, I need to be able to keep this moving and, uh, and, and put a podcast together. I, it, it can't, we can't both start crying cause I don't think anybody would listen to it. Well, uh, it's, and, and the other reason why I was happy to do it and I knew I was going to break down, but it's, it's, you know, it's sad. It's, it's, it's you look back and you think you know what i used to do and what i where i'm at now but you know what i honestly believe my heart of hearts how much worse it would have gotten so much faster the other issues had i not found the podcast and been able to employ those tools to hopefully stop the future you know, and carry on where I'm at. And I, I believe that. Um, I'm glad I I do. And it's, and that was, well, that was part, part of my, go ahead. I I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, I, I, (laughs) it's all you. No, I, I, uh, it's part of what I was trying to say and what I've been trying to say about why this all needs to be um, kind of bulletproof and easy to understand. Because in my mind, what if the podcast finds you, but it's too convoluted or too difficult, and then you're like, ah, and then you walk away from it. You, you know, like it needs to be, like there was, there's a person online last night who put up some graphs and People were, you know, pretty much. It's interesting to watch people from the podcast talk because they, they're like, there's two factions. One of them's right. Okay, this person's <laughs> this ba- this person's basil's is either not strong enough, or they're bad at bolusing for their meals. Right. It's one of these two things. I saw that post. Right. Right. But the the point is, is that it is definitely going to be one of those two things. But you're talking to a parent of a child. It's a fairly new diagnosis. They don't know what they're talking about yet. They're trying to figure it out. And I think that if I can give myself credit for anything, I can give myself credit for for, for coming up with the idea, the very simple idea that you first make sure your basil's right, then you learn to pre-bolus, then you learn the glycemic load and index of your different foods and stay flexible. 
It's a four-step idea that is doable. And no matter whether you're a person whose basil's too weak or you don't know how to bolus your food, if you go through those four steps, you're going to come out on the other side with an answer that's valuable for yourself. And while these people were talking to this person, I realized that the one difference between all of those people who all had rock-solid advice and me was that I have a concept of what it's like to talk to a person without having all of their information, without really understanding and and knowing that if you go back to get your basil right, make sure you're pre-bolus, et cetera, et cetera, that no matter what problem as what what problem perspective you're coming from with using your insulin, that will get you to the answer. Like maybe this woman's basil's right for her kid. It could be. But and maybe it's not that far off. But understanding that you can't just look and tell somebody something. Because if somebody were so if somebody were to swoop in in that moment on that person in that post and say, Hey, your boluses are way off, which they probably are, but they don't they don't address the basil first, then these people are going to be making these aggressive boluses forever, and they're going to have these lingering highs. And so I came in and I said, look, your bolus looks looks weak to me. People are like, no, no, no. Look how stable our blood sugars are. These blood sugars are. It's just high because they're missing on the meals. I'm like, well, that could be it. But I know enough to say, well, yeah, maybe. Where everyone else, <laughs> where everyone else is like, no, no, this is it. This is it. But they only think that's it because it's what happened to them. And, and, you know, and so understanding how to deliver this information in a way where everybody comes in, ends up at the same place if they kind of go through the steps, that's the part that's super important because you miss people. You don't catch them all if you don't have something that everybody can work out. And I, I don't know. I just think that it means a lot to me that you found the podcast, it struck you and it worked. Yeah, and part of it, white work. I I understood what you were saying, but you got to remember, I've never changed my own basal rates or adjusted those. Yeah, I've I've obviously fluctuated my boluses from what I'm eating, and it was always never enough. And then the two or three hours later, you're covering for two fifty, two seventy five, three hundred, and that was just the way of life. Um, so I, I when. When I first started doing this, I, I needed somebody there in my, in my corner um, to agree with what I was seeing mm-hmm. and saying and adjusting. So I hired Jenny from Integrated Diabetes uh, as my coach, my my person in my corner, my, yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's the right thing to do. Right. And by having that, that person as my crutch, you uh, I got it dialed in, you know, you know, we got it dialed in, you know, cause she was there with me too, but it validated everything that I understood mm-hmm. to make those adjustments. You know, I could have done it on my own, but I was terrified because I, again, I'd never made my adjustments. I go see my doctor twice a year and she had my PDM and yeah. here you go. Okay. Well, we should make sure people definitely understand what you're saying. So you listen to the podcast. You're like, Oh, that makes sense. Now, how do I pull this trigger on this? Like yeah. that, then that's a really difficult thing to do, whether you're a person who's been living with diabetes for decades or a person who's only had it for a few weeks. Like the, the idea that you could move that number, turn that dial, like flip that switch is it's, it freezes people. 
And well, I'm well, telling you, the only I'm like, give me one more second. The only reason I had the nerve to do it was because in the back of my dark mind, I was imagining things that have happened to you happening to my daughter. And I sure. thought we got to do something like we can't just look at it, you know, but a lot yeah. of people get stuck looking at it. Well, the, you got to. Uh, um, remember that I have. 20 some years of a habit in me of never making an adjustment right. to now make this adjustment versus somebody that's a year or two in it, six months in it, you know, they oh, yeah, okay. a little quicker. Yeah. You, you don't have that. Don't touch 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 that. Yeah. Just looming over you. Um, you know, and I, I'm not saying we're, we're, you know, sitting in a great place, but you know, I could afford to hire as you know, that help. And, uh, I know she's a big help to the show, and I, I knew from listening to her and you that that was going to be what I needed, um, that help. And anybody that needs it, I mean, it's just it's such a great ability to have that resource. I mean, you're only one man. You don't, you've only got so much time in the, the data. <laughs> I know you'll help people, and you do all the time, um, but I didn't need to bog you down at that point. I could afford to. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, not only that, but Jenny has something that I don't know how much it comes through when she's talking on the podcast, but I know Jenny more personally. And the anger, I think that might be the right word, that came out of you earlier when you talked about doctors not helping. Like, Jenny has that. Like, she has that inside. She does a good job of masking it, and it might not come out a lot, but she's driven by the desire in my opinion, to thwart bad information. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I hundred percent see that. And after working with her, listening to you and yeah, hundred percent. And she does a really good job putting the makeup over it. <laughs> right. And she, and she really cares about people too, which I there's, as soon as I met her and we started to get to know each other, I just thought like, you know, I joke on the like, I'll, you'll hear me joke on the podcast. And I'll say I wanted to have Jenny back on because she agreed with me. But that's just me trying to be funny. I don't know if it works or not. But I um, I like when people agree with me, but that's for a different reason. Um, but uh, what I liked about Jenny was her desire, like I just spoke about. Yeah, I like her knowledge. I like the practicality of how she thinks about it. And I think the first time I said to her, I don't believe that your diabetes may vary. I believe that everybody's diabetes at its core works the same way. And if you had your settings right, knew how to use insulin, it would work out mostly the 100%. same for everybody. And she's like, 100%. I agree with you. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, okay, fine, yeah. finally. And she validates me. I don't think, I don't, I don't know that she ever has thought about it. And I've definitely never said it to her, but her being on the show helps me reach more people because there's a validation that, that she agrees yeah. And when she doesn't agree, she just says so. And when I don't understand, I just say, oh, I don't understand that. Y you know, like it's, it, you gotta have no, it's crazy. I'm going to say this because people will laugh, but you have to have no ego about it. And then yeah. once you know you're right, you have to steadfastly defend the fact that you're right. <laughs> and and because other people will come in and say, no, I think it's the basil. I think it's this. So, you know, the, the this story online that I told earlier, it's not over yet. It's still happening right now. And, this person came back and showed a basal rate uh, overnight that held this this kid's blood sugar super steady. Like, it was great. 
And everybody's like, oh, see? And and she, I think she moved the basil from 0.5 to 0.55 or something like that. And everybody's like, yeah, the basil's great. And I still was like, well, what's the number? Yeah. And the number was like 140, 130, 140. I'm like, okay, so the basil's great. It could still take a little more. Like you could still put a little more, maybe 0.6 is the answer. Like, I don't know. I'm not there. But if that <laughs> basil was right overnight, your blood sugar would be lower. And maybe you're not comfortable there. Maybe she loves 140 and then God bless. Like, right. But if, but if, if not, I mean, Arden's blood sugar last night was like 85 all night. Yeah. So you can say that's not a big of a deal. That's 50 points. 50 it's points huge. every, every minute you're alive. That's 50 points less blood sugar, like sugar, like coursing through your blood. That I think that's a big all night deal. Is, yeah. It's that sandblaster is just trickling. Yeah, it's a big deal. And I'm not saying, like, listen, if your kid's blood sugar is 140 for a week while you're figuring it out, or honestly, for three months while you're figuring it out. Oh, absolutely. You're going to be okay, like, right? But but what Mike's telling you is it can't be 10 years. It can't be 11 years. It can't be 20 years. It's no. it, it's not going to be okay. No. Um, and, 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 and it's going to happen. You're going to have sick days, sick weeks, six months, or sick months. You know, that, that little time period is not going to do you know, long-term damage. I, and I believe that in my heart of hearts because the body does repair damaged cells, but there's a point where it can't repair it anymore. Right. And but that's you're, where I'm you're, at. you're hoping to hang just to, to stay st- stable where you're at. Which, yeah. And, and you've given yourself the best chance possible. Honestly. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. You. You're doing an amazing job. <laughs> Look, man, for people who don't understand what we're talking about still, I mean, if you've listened to Mike and you still don't understand my friend, Mike, who was diagnosed in the mid to late 80s, passed a couple of years ago. And I would say that his care mimics yours, but he never really until the very last couple of years of his life made it to modern insulin. And he was discussing what to eat for dinner when he stood up and ceased to exist. And and that he did not know that was coming. He, no, he, you don't. He, and I've I've heard from my doctor. It was it was a uh, it was a couple years couple <clears throat> couple years ago. Um, you know, we were making some adjustments or whatever, and it, it might have. I don't. It was several years ago, but she goes, "Yeah, you know, right now everybody's dropping dead of heart attacks." I'm like, "Like what? 60s, 70s? She goes, "No, 40s and 50s. You know, all these long term mm-hmm. type ones. They're that were just you know." Doing their habit, doing their thing. So yeah. it, it, but, and I want to preface for everybody's listening by doing right now, you're going to avoid that later. Yeah. It is very likely not going to be the outcome for most people 45 no. years from now. You and know. I want to stress to these teenagers out there that you think you're invincible. You're not. You know, if you're in college and you go to the mess hall and you come out of that with a 300 for four, five, six hours and think it's funny. It's not. You're gonna more than likely have problems. And I know the teenage years are tough. I know they're tough. I know the early 20s are tough. You think you're that warrior, brave, you're invincible. You can be. Take care of yourself. If I can't get anything across, you got to do that in those years. Because I know when mom and dad's taking care of you, but when you go off to teenage and you want to not be on insulin for a while because you're tired of being a diabetic, trust me. I know what it's like. Been there, done that, got the shirt, hat, sticker, but you just can't do that. Yeah. And if I can get any message across, you can't do that. Do what's right. You're going to be 
fine. Anecdotally, I've spoken to enough people now where I, I have to agree with what you're saying because, you know, you're diagnosed when you're younger. And if you're lucky, you have parents who are on top of it, right? If you're yep. not lucky, I've talked to every, I think I feel like I've talked to almost every version of a person who's out there, right? And by the yep. way, every time I say that, someone sends me an email and I was like, I bet you haven't heard this story before. And I'm like, ooh, I haven't. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, say say you're diagnosed when you're young and you're and you get me and I'm your dad. And so you're okay. And then you get to college and you let it go. And a night turns into, and these aren't my, this isn't me making it up. These are the stories people tell on the podcast. A night turns into a week, a week turns into a year, a year turns into grad school. The next thing you know, you're 27 years old and some girl or guy is telling you, listen, I mean, I, I want to have kids one day. Are you sure you can do that? And yeah. then you go, oh, no, 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 geez, you're right. And then you whip it back into shape. And these are the stories people tell. But in that time, you lose 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. I don't know what your blood sugars were during there. You don't know either. Yeah. And as much as it sucks, you don't know what's going to happen. And what's going to happen from that isn't going to happen until you're in your 40s, maybe. You know, and 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 if something doesn't luckily snap you back into it, which is what I hear from most people. It's usually, it's usually not, it's not usually like a come to Jesus moment. Like you just realized, oh, I should take better care of myself. It ends up being for other people. I hear yeah. a lot of women say, I wanted to get pregnant. So I got my blood sugar together or I got pregnant. I didn't realize I was going to get pregnant and I had to pull my blood sugar together. Or I met a guy and I realized I wanted to have a life or I met a woman and I realized I wanted to have a life or vice versa or whatever, whoever meets whoever. Um, the point is, it's, it, it seems to be, the trigger seems to be when you suddenly care about somebody else, you realize how much you weren't concerned about yourself. Yeah. And then suddenly that love or that connection makes you feel like you want to do better for yourself, almost for other yeah. people. Yeah. I, well, I, if 50 people haven't said that to me in the last three years, I'm lying. Like, you know what it, I mean? Like, it's been yeah. that many. Circle back to the pregnancy thing. When when they, a diabetic wants to get pregnant, the doctors make them get their A1Cs below six. And then once they had the baby, they go back to wherever they were. Yeah, like, why did you do that? Oh, it's just so exhausting. But I, I got to honestly tell you, I, I've recently taken on a new primary doctor because of my insurance who is a type one. And when they look at your, your A1C, five, five, that's too low why is it too low? Well, that, I, you know, I, I told him I'm doing the juice box. Well, that's too stressful. Why is it stressful? Well, is, <laughs> aren't you, aren't you being stressed? I'm like, honestly, Scott, I think so much less about diabetes every day than I did before I started doing the method because you'd eat lunch two hours, three hours later, two seconds, gosh, son of a, and then you'd, so now you're fighting that and trying to get that down to what you know should be a good number. Yeah. Um, but my high alarm is at 120. Um, and I told the doctor that and he goes, you need to raise that. I'm like, why? <laughs> because it's too stressful. I go, why is it stressful? I'm pre-bolusing. Look at my graph. Uh, if I'm off a little bit, because, you know, stress, happiness, sadness, a car pulled out in front of you, adrenaline, all those things happen every day in life. So that same turkey sandwich is going to be a little different day to day because of those factors. If I hit 120 and... Dexcom, if you're listening, I love you, but please put a Delta in there. So I got to go to SugarMate 
at 120, look at the delta. If it's plus four, I'll give a couple of tenths a unit. Mm-hmm. If it's 120 plus zero, I'll watch it. And yeah. it usually goes right back down. Jake, um, Jake's coming on next week from Dexcom. And he's going to please gonna, beg I, him to put I, a delta. I think on. he's going to tell me what, <laughs> what the new apps look like. So I'm hoping that that's something. If not, I'll just, I'll have to bring it up again. But please do. Yeah. Number I would one, imagine delta. They have to, they have to realize. And for, uh, Anybody listening doesn't understand. Mike's talking about rate of change. Like he wants to know um, if his blood sugars, like not just the arrow, like diagonal up. He really wants to know it changed, you know, four points in the last time since the last reading or something like that. It's yeah, yeah. Really so helpful I, I, information. I look at that religion. It could be one twenty minus three. I'm definitely not going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. But even if the Dexcom says it's a straight arrow, it's a good reference. Yeah. But I want to see that delta to know. Do I need to be aggressive? Right. Like. Instead of two tenths, four tenths of a unit. <laughs> yeah, no, I I completely agree. It, it, it's incredibly important. If I was making yeah, an app, it would have it on there for yeah, sure. Yeah, don't go high. You won't go low. Uh, maybe we'll maybe there'll be a juice box podcast app one day. You can just <laughs> you, you imagine. <laughs> Jeez. I start getting hey. into the app game. <laughs> You're like Scott's Scott's branching out. Um, I, I'd use it. Well, I mean, I I I. I do want to ask if there's anything else you want to talk about before we we start to wrap up i don't i don't want to leave you without um having said the things you wanted to say but well i said pretty much everything i wanted to say um if you know if anybody wants to talk i'm i'm open i'm i'm in the in the facebook group um i'm 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 an open book i don't hide anything from anybody anything from anybody i talk about I, i'm a see a therapist um I'm not mentally, in, you know, people think you're seeing a therapist, you're mentally saying, no, I needed help to try to figure this out. Yeah. I didn't have the tools. So it's not shameful. Um, and I, I, I talk about that to anybody because maybe, and I've had a couple of my friends say, hey, I really appreciate you talking about that. You know what? I need to see somebody because of this, that, the other. Yeah. Um, so if I talk about it and they see that well, what, what normal is normal, you know, they can equate to that. So I... I'm a ad- big advocate of that. Um, re-educate, uh, re- re-education um, to keep up with the times, the new technologies. Um, I heard you talk about, excuse me, why you don't write a book, why you don't write a, a quick notes, because things are fluid. Things change. The technology changes. You need to re-educate yourself with what's new. Don't rely on your doctor. You know, do your research, you know, you know, look at these drug companies, um, go online on form on the Facebook group. And, you know, what's new? What, what's the newest and latest and greatest? I got a buddy in Arizona who I've recently met. Um, you'll he's um, I'm not going to say his name just for his privacy, but because I don't know if he'd want me to talk about him. But he's on regular and MPH. MDI. It's like, there's way better insulins. Really? I mean, he, he just didn't know because he had it. He didn't know who to talk to reach out. He and I connected through another friend. We text every day. Um, and you know, he's gonna, he's doing better. I'm so proud of him. Um, so you, uh, Tucson chef, you hear me saying this, man, my heart goes out to you. I'm so proud of how, how hard you working on this and you're getting them. Sorry, man. Oh, I didn't yeah. think I was going to break down for that one. It just fills my heart with joy yeah. that he's getting the help he needs and he's finding these tools, which it's so sad because so many people are just diagnosed from the doctor that graduated in 1986. And that's a technology they know. 
get a new doctor. Ask what's the latest from your new doctor. Don't take their word that this old insulin is great. Just go to Walmart, do that $25 vial insulin. You know, just you know, re-educate, re-educate, re-educate us. I just, I can't hammer that enough. And right. after finding the podcast, as I said, I didn't realize, I didn't know how insulin worked. Nobody ever taught me. I never asked anybody because my doctor just got it. So why, why would you ask? And without the re-education and these better insulins we have, um, I just, I can't push that enough. Um, and you don't want to be the lobster in the pot, man, where you're no. just like, this is all right. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's good. This feels nice. That, actually. Yeah. Nice. I like yeah, not that- worrying about it. And then, yeah, it, it, yeah. it just, I mean, the way I usually say it on the podcast, right. Is you don't want to look back uh, one day and see that you're doing something the way people used to do it. No, no. Yeah. And, Part of my therapy, my therapist, I, I just want to put this out there. Um, I was so focused on yesterday and what happened 20 years ago and so worried about what's going to happen in 10 years. The best thing that broke through to me, and I think anybody can relate to this, is you got to be in the now. You got to be in the present. Throw away yesterday. Focus on today and have some concern about tomorrow. But tomorrow, that's when you be the president, present, 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 not president. Mm-hmm. Um, and by to help you set yourself up, and here's a, the easiest tool that anybody can use. Wake up in the morning, get your coffee, and focus just on three things you're grateful for that day. And like, and what I do, um, for instance, you know, I teach barbecue and I got a barbecue store I work with. I volunteer there. I, I work for product, um, which I was unaware of this. Um, but when I, my first dog, I had to retire because of this, had to have his kidney removed. Um, and she knew I didn't have the dog there to, to look out for me. She looked out for me. We were at one barbecue competition one time and I was overheating. So I, I, I popped, slept in the motor or, you know, kind of, you know, went in the motor home. I took a shower and I came out and she says, where'd you go? I go, what do you mean? She goes, you need to tell me if you're going to be out of sight. I got you. I'm watching you. So one of my days of being grateful, I thought about that. So I physically call that person. This is something I do. And I, I hmm. explained her about my three you know, things I'm gratitude, gra- grateful for that day. And if it's a particular person, a friend, you know, I want them to know that I'm thinking about them that day. And focus on three things. So since I've been doing that, and that buddy of mine in, in Tucson, he and I uh, will text our three for the day just to kind of, you know, see how we're doing and checking in. And there's several days that I've been practicing this. What am I grateful today? I'm in the present. There's some days I can't think of three. I just feel such gratitude mm-hmm. um, that it's just I can't focus on three. And that has helped me huge. And that I got directly from my therapist to as an easy tool to work on. It is so effective. Be in now. Don't worry about 20 years from now because the asteroid could hit tomorrow and we could all be gone. Right. Yeah. Worry is a waste of imagination. That's for sure. It is. But I got so spun up on that. I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself out. Yeah. No, I understand. It happens to people. Um, I don't generally worry a lot, but two days ago I woke up and I was, I was literally worried about the thing I went to sleep worried about. And it's you know, <laughs> just like, it felt like it just started over again. Um, yeah. 
I, I have to say that uh, being positive for other people too it, um, it is really valuable. Like not just seeing, like I talked about when I was talking to the doctor the other day, which I heard you reference earlier. And, um, but um, I think you, you, if you're having success and you want to show your work, that's really great because someone is going to see it and feel hopeful about it. I think it's yeah. really important to remember that as we share online, the people you're intersecting with who you can physically see commenting or liking, they're a very small portion of the people who are seeing it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as you're, I mean, listen, if you're, if you're in a, if you're in a room with four people and you're talking, you're impacting four people. But yeah. I can tell you from my personal experience, I don't even at this point know how many people I'm talking to. I just have <laughs> to imagine that they're there. And, and I've now heard from so many different people in so many different walks of life. I understand that they're there. I know they're there whether I can see them or not. And being yeah. positive, not falsely, but, but in, in a tangible way, um, is very valuable for people. And I'm glad to see that I'm not hearing from so many people anymore that you don't show people when you're doing well because it makes them feel badly. I think yep. I think that they'd much rather know that better exists and even get the idea that reaching for it might be valuable yep. rather than just to make them feel like this is horrible and this is what it's always going to be. And look, everybody else agrees with me. So I'm just going to sit here in this pot and boil. You know, <laughs> that, that's all. I don't know why you made me think of a lobster today. But. That, well, that's like that's a great analogy. It's like putting the frog in cold water and turning it on and he, he doesn't feel the difference until he doesn't know it it's just like yeah it's happening but i don't yeah. know it yeah you don't you, you just you got to try you just i mean the point really is, is that you have a finite amount of time and even if it all goes perfectly it's not enough time so yes. when, when things start you know creeping up and i i think everyone's going to have roadblocks i think yeah. a lot of them are going to be health even if you don't have type one and you know sometimes you only get stretches of time stretches of time where you don't have to think about something but if you don't pay attention to what you're doing and try to address it, those stretches are going to get shorter and shorter and shorter, and they're going to disappear one day. Yeah, I so. think when you reference Roblox, and um, you look at some of these like military leaders or these lieutenants and stuff, and, and the way they look at things, and right there's a roadblock. What's the solution? Don't focus on the roadblock. You sit there and keep looking at the roadblock. That's all you're going to stare at. Yeah. You get caught. What's the solution? Whatever it is, whether it's diabetes, whether it's whatever it is, but that's a that's that's a real valuable message I've got out of you know some of these discussions and talks. It's like don't just and you get these negative noise that keep focusing. Oh my god, did you see what happened? That's like being in yesterday. Why didn't somebody tell me to do better twenty years from now? But that that's gone. Right. What's the solution now? Yeah, you got today and, and forward, and that's it. So yeah, yeah. Mike, I really appreciate this. I uh, I can't thank you enough. I I imagined that it wasn't going to be easy for you, and I appreciate uh, what it must have taken to tell everybody um, all this stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I knew it was going to be hard. Like I said, I'm I'm reachable. I'm not. I, I don't know what I can do for anybody, but if somebody's in a dark place or having the same issues or is worried about it, you know, I, I don't know what I can do for anybody. I'm not Superman. I, I'm just a a normal guy, but yeah. I understand sometimes you need to be able to associate that or 
talk with that or you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying find somebody who's in a similar situation as you and see if they know how to get out of the hole yeah Uh, i have to tell you that i thought early on when you were describing i was so tickled i knew how serious everything was going to be today so i didn't make this joke at the time but it stuck with me through an hour and a half the image of you walking through a hospital just on death's door as a child and this doctor kind of like sashay and pasty and being like that kid has type 1 diabetes i pictured john travolta in saturday night fever i don't know. <laughs> <laughs> all i could think I of it. was like swinging his hips with like his like fancy white suit and he was just like hey kid yeah, what's up a little hand over yeah he just kind of like made like finger guns at you and was like type 1 diabetes and and how proud he must have been of himself later like you know there was like a moment where he was like i knew that kid had diabetes <laughs> yeah oh yeah it, it yeah Doctor i didn't Travolta think about that but when you it. said that i just had that that poster image of of the movie yeah. poster <laughs> it might show my age but you said that and that's exactly i got i had a guy strutting down a hallway in my head and he was like that kid's got the rickets that kid's got type one i can just tell <laughs> like, yeah just- it can I say one other thing from a reference from Please. the uh, podcast with the doctor when, when you were asking her, what's the answer? And she said, 42. And you said, no, no, we're not going there. That was a reference from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe. Oh, no kidding. I don't know that one. Uh, you got to watch that movie. Okay. She got to pass me. Because as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, that was a what a timely reference. <laughs> I wish I would have known that. I, I, You see, my level of understanding is just 37 from Clerks. Which is not appropriate for here. So, <laughs> but does turn out to be, um, like I said to her, when you ask people for a random number between one and one hundred, more frequently than not, people will say yep. thirty-seven for some reason. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right, Mike. I I really appreciate you doing this. I am going to uh, I'm going to think about this a lot, um, and uh, I hope everybody else does too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to spread the story that for people now, do your due diligence. It's not doom and gloom. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, when this goes up, I will put a post on the private Facebook group, uh, that talk that, that announces this episode and I will tag you in it so people can find you. Sure. And you got to do the John Travolta, uh, the Saturday night live, uh, Movie poster is the picture. <laughs> oh, for the episode? I have to yeah. do that. Yeah. All right. Damn it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much. Hold on one Scott, second. Thank you. Yep. I, I really appreciate you and all you're doing. Nah. And uh, thank you, man. Nah, it's it, it really is my pleasure. I mean, stuff like this makes this, uh, uh, not that it's hard to do to begin with, but if it was, this makes it much easier. You said something yeah. earlier that... um. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever forget. And I, I know I've said it a number of times, but when somebody who has type one um, references that I don't have it, but in a positive way, like I can't believe somebody who doesn't have type one was able to talk to me about this. Um, I mean, I'm very uh, touched by that. It's uh, the only real world I have. It's, it means a lot to me that that I don't come off as uh, as false to you. No, so. no. So thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. I want to personally thank Mike for coming on the show and sharing all of this with us today. And thank you for listening. I also need to thank Touched by Type 1 
for their sponsorship of the Juice Box Podcast and remind you to go to touchedbytype1.org. I'd also like to remind you about the Omnipod Promise and say that you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash right now. Go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out more. If this is your first After Dark episode, you should go look for the rest of them. Child divorce, living with bipolar, sexual assault and PTSD, using psychedelics, Amy, heroin addiction, bulimia and depression, divorce and co-parenting, sex from a female perspective, sex from a male perspective when you have type 1 diabetes, depression and self-harm, trauma and addiction, smoking weed, and drinking. Those are the ones we have so far. If you think you can add to the After Dark episodes, reach out. Besides all of the great episodes of the podcast, there are other series. Those about using algorithm-based pumping, the Defining Diabetes episodes, the aforementioned After Dark, and so much more. Take a look at juiceboxpodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget the How We Eat series, Intermittent Fasting, Flexitarian, Keto, FODMAP, Bernstein, low-carb, gluten-free, plant-based, carnivore, vegan. So many to choose from. Find out how other people eat. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to leave a five-star rating and a great review wherever you listen. I'll be back soon with another episode.